Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control business and industry and put that pools in your money and hold that money and, as a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times what it leaves. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside of their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor. You buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them. To get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor is the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You, don't, you got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people, you can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, you know you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when, they, when, they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything. Now shattering conventional wisdom, John Stossel. I saved the most amazing story for now. What happens when you're really poor? You want to educate your kids, but you can only spare a dollar a week. Can private schools succeed on a dollar a week? Yes, they can. Some background. America didn't always have state-run schools. Parents taught kids. Communities set up local schools. Kids learned. Then, in about 1840, in Massachusetts, no surprise, a man named Horace Mann, he's often called the father of public edu education, said the state had to step in. 
Once there was public education, he said nine-tenths of the crimes in the penal code would become obsolete. Of course, that never happened. Now I think we have nine-tenths of the crimes in public schools, but that's another story. My point is that America got state-run schools, and now America's the role model for the rest of the world, so in India, China, Africa, governments run schools. But many of their schools are horrible. Sometimes no teacher shows up. When they do, some sleep during class. I know this because this man has spent the last 10 years visiting schools in the poorest parts of the world. When I first came to Ghana, I, I met with just astonishment because private schools, they say, are for the rich, for the elite, for the middle classes. But what astonished him was learning that even in these places where parents earn only a dollar a day, they will often take their kids out of free government schools and instead pay, typically a dollar a week, so their children can attend private schools like this one. Village like this, there are six private schools. Can you imagine that? A small village, six private schools. What we found in my study was that in poor areas like this, the majority of school children are in private school, and these schools outperform the government schools at a fraction of the teacher cost. And why? When they have less money? Because they want to please their customers, the parents. The reason why the private schools are better than the government schools is because there's a private owner. If you don't teach as they expect, you'll be fired and replaced. James Tooley joins us now. He wrote this book about his travels with the subtitle, How the World's Poorest People Are Educating Themselves. So, James, you spend about half the year in very poor parts of the world. Mm. Why? I, I guess um, ever since I was very young, I wanted to serve the poor. And uh, 10 years ago, I went into the slums of Hyderabad in India um, for various reasons. I had a hunch that I would find something remarkable going on, a bit like perhaps you described in pre-state education America earlier. And sure enough, I went into these slum areas in the city of Hyderabad, and almost on every street corner, there was a private school, a low-cost private school. In those days, a dollar a month. 10 years ago now, perhaps a dollar a week and they were serving poor communities, and I thought, this is something really remarkable. I want to find out more. But there were also government schools. There are government schools in the slums or bordering on the slums in, in, these, in these places. Like, which would be free. They're free. You get free uniform, free lunch at uh, lunch times. You get free books. And yet poor parents, like the parents you showed on that, uh, that clip there, they're saying, we don't want this for our children. They're not good enough. The teachers don't turn up. The teachers are not accountable to us. We want to pay a little bit of money, and we will send our children to private schools. It's a remarkable revolution that's taking place. It is. And now the BBC has aired a documentary about James Tooley and what he learned. The documentary reveals a lot about the snotty, pompous attitudes held by the education establishment. And do we really believe that unregulated, unlicensed organizations, which are not accountable to anybody except their own, which have no governance structure, are the best way forward? I think not. And the BBC interviewed the government official who's in charge of state schools in the slums of Lagos, Nigeria. And in that very poor country, she arrived for the interview in her brand new Mercedes and then had nasty things to say about parents who send their kids to private schools. They are dumb, she says. Ignoramuses. They don't have the information that the 
public schools are free. Those that do know, she says, just pay for status. But the most important point is fake status symbol. In quotes, fake status symbol. They want to be seen as rich parents, caring parents. James, she says these parents don't know what they want. It's, it's been a theme throughout the program, hasn't it? These parents, she said that word, these poor parents are ignoramuses. It just, it hurts me every time I hear it. These poor parents are not ignoramuses. We've done testing in these schools, and we found that the private school children are outperforming the government school children across the board in their subjects. They're doing better, and it's for a fraction of the cost. These poor parents are not stupid. How can these schools afford to do it on a buck a day? The cost of living is lower in these countries, so it's not quite as dramatic as it sounds, but nonetheless, teachers are paid considerably less than in the public schools. That's, that's the key. Maybe a fifth uh, of the salaries, a quarter or a fifth of the salaries, in, are there in the private schools compared to the government schools. These are low-paid teachers, often untrained in the government sense, but they're getting better at their children. Why? Because they're there in the classroom, they care about their children. Well, the the government teachers, I assume, care and they're they're in the classroom I don't know I don't know if you're going to show the sleeping teacher this is one of the one of the things we found when we went to the schools um, uh, with the BBC crew the very first the very first uh, <laughs> the very first school we went to uh, uh, we were there announced the school knew we were coming we were there with that the lady there and the school teacher was fast asleep at his desk I would not have allowed the BBC to show this film if it's not something that you see every single time you go into these government schools, something like that. So because they have a government job, they can't be fired, they can't get a raise if they're really good, they don't care? It's again the same thing that we heard earlier from your, your union representative. These guys have got tenure too. You, you know, it's easier, uh, it's easier to, I, 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 I don't know, it, it, you cannot remove these government teachers possibly in extreme circumstances you can move them from one school to another but that's only if you find them you know, drunk in the morning molesting students in extreme cases you can do that mostly you can't touch them and that's you know that's the problem that you see it's a recipe for mediocrity it's a recipe for not caring yeah. and poor parents don't want that they will not acquiesce in mediocrity this is the story that you know in a sense you know people here should be inspired by this the poorest people on the planet are saying it's not good enough for us you know you in America you've got a lot to be inspired by there I think well I'm inspired and we all thank you for your work thank you James Tooley when we return what does this mean for American schools Okay, um, we got booted out of our studio. Uh, let's see if we can reconnect. Uh, boy. Okay, we're. Let's see. Uh, da, 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 da. All right, for uh, those who want to connect, uh, hold on, we're waiting for our studio to repopulate on this tablet. Once again, the, well, not once again, call in 619-768-2945. That's our number today, our call live stream number on It's My House. 
And now we're back and the audio went out. But anyway, so today's Tuesday. All right, I'm back. All right, like I said, I got I got booted out. But we're back. Okay, I see people in the studio and everything. All right, so it's Tuesdays and uh on Tuesdays we have homeschool news and information. Once again, the live stream number is six one nine seven six eight two nine four five and that audio uh, hopefully it was near the end and completed uh, 100%. But if you did, if you missed it in any part, they were talking about uh, people that go to school for one USD, one United States dollar per day. And that's in many parts of uh, Africa and India. Um, and many of those students, as uh, I don't know how much you guys heard, test. They have test scores higher than um, people who attend public schools um, in their neck of the woods and probably on a global basis as well, depending on what part of the globe you're speaking about. All right. So um, we're going to have something like that uh, because we've got to organize a mobile school ourselves. I mean, I'm, I, I played mobile school video, not videos, audios on here before. Uh, and speaking of, I'll just start with something. You do have families. Some people would call them homeless families that um, have to educate their children because of their homeless situation. They they might not uh, some homeless families Hello everyone. Um my name is Jimmy guess you can call me Jimmy the Tramp because I'm homeless I'm living in my car I'm 48 years old and um, I've been living this way only for a couple weeks now thankfully uh, but my troubles started uh, well, a long time ago uh, I guess I'll, I'll be telling you everything about myself um, how I got to the situation that I'm in and how I'm going to get myself out of it and uh, where I'm going to go from here as it all happens. Um, I'm starting this channel to give myself something to do, keep myself occupied um, so I don't get too damn depressed. It's depressing uh, living in your car, to say the least. Um, but a little background, um, I'm in New Mexico right now. Okay, I have to turn on my mic. Okay, my studio's on my tablet, and my microphone is my uh, smartphone. Okay, thank you, Peter, for that, uh, sending me that text. Okay. Today's podcast was originally just named Homeschool News and Information. And, of course, the live stream number is 619-768-2945. And while 
<laughs> I went silent. I was on a, a semi rant. Anyway, here's here's the retitle of today's podcast. Mobile uh mobile homeschooling. Mobile homeschooling. And the reason why I came up with that, it just popped up like a minute ago, like when Peter sent that text. There are many families, some people would call these families homeless families. They might be camping out at Walmart at night. They might be going from city to city during the daytime looking for work. It's a gazillion different reasons, but they have children with them. And those children are not enrolled in a a, uh, a so-called traditional brick-and-mortar school. So I'm going to go to a uh, uh, homeschooling expert here, Joyce Burgess, um, and have her shed some light on here. Mobile education. Because essentially, that's what we'll be doing with It's My House when we, when we set up these little tiny homesteads or tiny house communities. We'll be essentially mobile homeschooling. Because I've got to travel from one place to get to to the people in the place where we're going to do these particular projects. So, uh, and some of these people, matter of fact, there's a lady that was on here about uh, a month or so ago, VJ, and she's in Oklahoma, and she has three children. All right, there. When I when I first came across her, she was facing eviction. And she got locked out, what, a couple, two, three days ago. But now she's got a shelter. She's using her social capital to house her family. That's a good thing. So, But the education part, what can you do to educate your children when you're mobile homeschooling? That's the topic for today, mobile homeschooling. Um, Doris, the bird, is you there? Yes, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Well, now, your family has, like you coined it, education with your family is a lifestyle. So, I mean, you've taken your children on road trips and Mm -hmm. got an education. So tell us, what, what does that look like? Well, you know, listening to your conversation earlier, that is one of the beauties of homeschooling is you can take homeschooling on the road, and we called it road education or road trip education. And so basically we would load every child's curriculum for about two weeks in a box, and while we're on the road, we're, we're studying the basics like math, of course, and maybe some of the languages. But more than anything, it was very interactive because for every state that we arrived in, there was a picture of that state, of that particular state, as well as just the little bitty historical things that you would learn about that particular state, like the state flower or the state song or the state colors, or uh, what's unique about this state, like in Louisiana, what's unique about us is our jazz music and our food. So we learned what was unique about other states, the governor's name. And uh, maybe uh, the Department of Tourism, we had contacted them months before 
we knew that we were taking a trip, and they sent us all kinds of information about uh, their their state. And so that was very fun and interactive. We'd stop at the the uh, office of tourism in that particular state. You know, like the the uh, you go into the state and you you cross the state line, and there's this you know the state flag and then you walk into the tourist building and they give you all these maps. And so we were able to navigate from one state to another. So the children, it was very interactive with the children. They had a chance to speak with the people at the, at the um, office of tourism and, you know, to develop their speaking skills for public speaking. It was a lot of fun. And then we get back in the car, of course, and, uh, you know, start some of our other subjects. And um, so that's one of the beauties of homeschooling. But let me tell you about an interesting thing that happened here in Louisiana when we had the Katrina storm. There were many families homeless. A lot of those families came to my hometown, and we put them up in shelters. So I got some of my friends who are veteran homeschool moms. We got together some old curriculum, or we got donations for school supplies. We went into these shelters, and we had a couple of hours of, of lessons so that the children would feel a sense of normalcy. We had lessons for the children, and we showed the parents how to continue this until we got back the next day. And that lasted for, for several months. So that was homeschooling in the shelter with these families who were mm-hmm. homeless from the Katrina storms. And, of course, with the recent flood here in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, and in my hometown as well, we did the same thing. Home, mobile homeschooling is not a new concept. It's been going well, around. It's been around for a long time. It's not a new concept. People who are in the military, military families, they go from one state, from one country to the next, and they have to take their children with them. Although they have housing, but yet and still, it's the it's the mobile, it's the constant moving that could seem kind of disrupting where the children are concerned. And so these families, you know, they just secure it tight with education is the medium that they use to make sure that their children feel a sense of consistency and repetition right. and repetition. Yeah. So now this is a new to me. Anyway, it's new to me. The homeless part of this. I was in Stockton, California last summer and my brother toured me around some of the places in Stockton, California, where homeless people have set up communities. I'm not talking one or two homeless people under the railroad or near the railroad or under the interstate. I'm talking in a wide field. They've set up tents. They've set up quarters. And and that's where they're staying with their families. It was one of the saddest things I'd ever seen. Now, from what I understand in delving into homelessness, I don't think anyone sets out to be homeless. You know, it's just something that happens along the way. I don't know why people tend to, they, they just have no place to stay. Now, home, being homeless can be very successful because 
the author of the Harry Potter books, she lived in her car. And she would go into hotels and just sit there and write. She had very little money, but look at her now. And this is the author of Harry Potter books. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But I think, once again, going back, we have to have a sense of, wanting to be successful because if we're just doing it, whether you're homeless, whether you stay in a nice house, if you're still doing the same old thing over and over and getting no results, that's insanity. You're getting no results. So if these families have their children with them, they don't want their children to end up like them. No parent, every parent wants their children to be better. And so I think with mobile homeschooling, I think that we need to find out where these people are, who they are, and maybe provide a sense of of consistency where the children are concerned by maybe volunteering or giving some books away or we're, you know, taking these families under our wings and telling them and showing them how they can educate their children because just because the parent is homeless, the child doesn't have to suffer educationally. There's too too many resources. Yeah, there's too many resources. We have our local libraries. They would, you know, they could come into the local libraries and and use their computers, uh, get a library card. So there is no use. Excuse me. There is no use why parents should, um, their children should have to suffer as well. True, true. Uh, Matter of fact, I can answer at least in part. It might not fit everybody because there's no cookie-cutter reason why people become homeless. But uh, in part, because I ran across these statistics early this morning. Um, Let me see if I can find them here. Uh, Yesterday I mentioned that from an It's My House point of view, 70% of the people who have housing issues. Now, that could be homelessness. It could be you have a roof over your head, but you're struggling to pay the rent or struggling to pay the mortgage payment because you're living in the wrong place. Um, and, uh, matter of fact, let me get this statistic for you right here. Based on the state of Missouri, uh, which we had a guest on here yesterday from Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me get to the uh, yeah. specific uh, so I can read it directly so people won't start. Here it is. Now, what I'm about to read is not L.A.'s words. This is this is uh, really from the Census Bureau. All right. And I quote, 90, now this is relating to the state of Missouri, all right, now, okay. point, no, 97.4% of the entire land mass in the state of Missouri is classified as rural. As what, 97.4% of the entire land mass of the state of Missouri is classified as rural. All right? 
but only 30.6% of the population of the state of Missouri lives in rural areas. Thus, almost 70% of the population of the state of Missouri lives on only 2.6% of the available landmass in the entire state of Missouri. Nationwide, Mm -hmm. uh, the same 97.4% of the land area is classified as rural in the United States, but only 21% of the population in the entire United States lives in rural areas. And that, in my, those are the stats. When you have a whole lot of people trying to live off of a tiny portion of the landmass, you're going cut what supply and demand. It drives prices up. And some hmm. people cannot and then the rules and regulations come in. It's not and that lies that's where my that's where I come up with the figure of seventy percent. If you take some of those people now, and re-educate them, because I'm because when Joyce was talking about uh, road trip, road trip education, okay, and one of my favorite topics is geography. I, I like geography. I, on a road trip education, like the way Joyce describes it, and when she did with her family. That's very interactive. It, I mean, on that right. road trip, people can see, you know what, I might like to live here one day. Well, I might need, oh, yeah. I might want to revisit this place one day. But you don't see that with a geography book in a brick-and-mortar environment, and that's all you know. So when we go out and do the It's My House road trips, which I'm going to call it just mm-hmm. like you're call it a mobile education road trip, that's one of the first things we're going to expose people to. One of the reasons why some of you people, because everybody's got a different story, why they might be homeless, is you're living in the wrong place. Why struggle on the, in, at least in the state of Missouri, why struggle on the, the 2.6%? And see, that 2.6%, where the 70% live in the state of Missouri, it gets even smaller because... That's all the big, that's St. Louis, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, Springfield, Missouri. That's part of the 2.6%. We go yeah. looking for land in the 97.6%. We've been able to pick up over 70 acres of land this year by just going rural. Mm. We don't want no comfort and convenience. We already we know how to set that up and create that. Anyway, Joyce, so that that's um, you know, let's say you took your when you you and your husband took your family on these road trips. I see it as a, a I mean, you guys had it. You weren't homeless, but I see that as a big advantage. I mean, what better way to teach geography? Oh, absolutely, and yeah, absolutely, and several of our children have really benefited from that because a couple of them travel. You know, I had one son, I have one son who's, who's military and I had another son who's a, 
praise and worship leader. He's a musician. So he's had an opportunity to travel all over the, the, the state, all over the country, rather. And then he's, he's gone international as well. And so it is very, very beneficial for children to get that type of well-rounded, vast experience. And I don't know. I, I just know. I just right. see that parents need to be consistent. You know, they need right. to think that you know. I want to. I want to give my child something better than me, like the movie Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith and his son. Excellent Look what he movie. Did. He was movie. homeless. Yeah. yeah excellent right. movie. Excellent illustration of what a parent would like to do for his son. But he was still trying to get a job. He was still trying to get position. And, um, you know, it was just, it's just that parents need to decide that I want my children to do better. And that could be the, 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 the rule for a vision for a child, for a parent to do better so that, they're, so that they can provide a better living for their children. Right. Yeah, that, it's that you know, thing. I'm going to try to get that guy. I want my children to do better. I'm going to try to get the guy who uh, that movie was about on this podcast one day because uh, that movie was, I mean, no excuses. Mm. That guy didn't come up with He made it work. I mean, I remember the scene where um, yeah, they had to, they slept in a public bathroom one night. Um, and, you know, when they had to, you know, he had to work during the daytime and yeah. And still pick his son up uh, so they can get to the shelter uh, yeah. and get a place to sleep that night. I, that, man. Yeah. He didn't have no excuse. Yeah. Very responsible. No, I mean, if you're going to. He's a millionaire now. What's that? He's a millionaire now. If you, yeah. If you're going to be, if you're going to be on homeless, be responsible, you know, get to the show sometime, get to the food line on time, you know, but always have a vision, go out, get your jobs, you know, get your interviews going and, you know, so that you can do better mm-hmm. and, 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 and let your child be the, the main thing or the point of focus where you want to do better because surely, you know, I, I think if, if you don't want your children to excel you or to do better than you, I challenge your I challenge you as a parent because ninety nine percent of parents I believe want their children to do better than that than they are. No True. matter what that looks like. Right. Right, well now, no matter right, what now, that looks like. Now you've already put out what it sort of I mean what it looks like with you and your family. But there, you know, a lot of all kinds of people listen to this podcast. So let's say you have um, somebody that might download this podcast, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, before I go to that thought, let me go to a caller with another thought. Area code three five two. Your mic is open. Okay. Uh, good morning, Joyce. Good morning, LA. Um, good morning. This is, this is Viata. Old Purpose Healing. And uh, I love the conversation you were just having about wanting our children to do better. Um, and I yeah. just uh, I wonder uh, sometimes if we want that too much because 
Uh, I've seen parents who give, 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 and they want then they want them to go to college because they want them to do better. But then the child doesn't want to go to college. I, I saw this in my own family, where my father had a, a son in his late life, and they, he and his wife, both educators, both college uh, graduates, they insisted that this person get a college degree, and it was nothing but frustration with the child and the parents because the child wasn't doing well in college. And so I think what, we're, what we may have to say is that we want parents to be conscious of what is doing better, what what does it mean right. to do better? How they're not going to struggle? They, we don't want them to struggle. They need to struggle a little bit, and so I think it has to be a balance of when when we want our children to do better, we have to be conscious of what does that mean for the child? What is the exactly. lesson that child exactly. needs to learn to do better? Because they may not need to go to college, which my my stepbrother or my half-brother, he still hasn't graduated from college, even though his parents were insisting that he go to college because you can't get a good job. And he's gotten a good job without college. So it was a lot of frustration and conflicts in this quest for his their child to do better or to do well without really considering what is the niche or what's the personality of this child better, maybe with a little struggle, you know. Well, you know, I have two children that did not graduate from college. Okay. Um, and it took one of my children 10 years. He was in college for 10 years before he graduated. Thank God he started young. Uh, he's college when he was 16, and he got out when he was 26. And so, but, and then I have, like I said, I have two children who did not even graduate from college. They did not want to go to college. I have one daughter that her first semester of college after it was over with she came to us she said mom dad i'm just here to tell you it is not for me right and now she's she's very successful she has a federal position she's been in that position for 12 years and she's on her way to making having a good retirement so it is not for everybody but i think what parents need to do and it's something that i've done and i'm not saying it's been perfect because it's not because parenting is a is a heaven and hell struggle. It's a hot <laughs> situation. It's yeah. an up and down thing until you find out specifically what is good for that child. And that is that only comes through conversation. And so one of my children uh, graduated, two of my children, three of my children have graduated. I'm sorry, I get them all mixed up. Three of my <laughs> children have graduated from college, and it was what they wanted to do. Two of them graduated. They kind of went straight on. One of them decided, I don't want to go right now. I want to go to minister's college, but I think I want to come back and go to college. And that's what he did. He chose to go back and get a degree after he was married, had children. So it's just, it, it, it's the conversation that needs to happen among yes. parents and children. And if you're yes, not having, because I even, I now, even have questions of whether have, anybody needs have, to go to college these days because yeah, there's so much have, uh, you can learn on YouTube, on Internet, and then you, you spend four years at a university and yeah. learn what. But so, you know, yeah, we have, have to be to more have, conscious about what does this child love to do, want to do, and how can I help yeah. them in that goal. That's exactly what I was getting to. 
You yeah. have to have a desire. The child, you have to see what that child's talents are. What does that child enjoy? What are his hobbies? And then you, you start moving that child in the direction, and you can yeah. use YouTube. You can use travel. You can use uh, uh, books. You know, the best way to travel is through a book. If you yeah. get there, I know I've been to England many, many, many times just through books and through shows, and 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 that's how you do it. So, you know, LA, you know, back to your conversation. That's again one of the beauties of homeschooling. But back to the homelessness of it, I I know that there's some there's some regulations and there are some policies where homeless uh, is concerned because. I go back to Stockton, California, where I visited last summer. My brother also showed me places where the homeless had been. It was a disaster. Then he showed me the places to where they've moved. They're nomads, okay? And so now they're living in another area. And then all of a sudden when the laws kick in and and the laws are enforced, then the people have to move, you know. It's a mm. transit thing, you know. It's a transit thing. And so my, I just don't, I don't understand the laws of that community, of, I mean, of a lot of the communities where homelessness is concerned. I know here in Baton Rouge and, and not here in my city, Baker, I'm not quite sure, but I do know in the, the metro area of the parish, there, there, there is some homelessness there under the interstate, you know, because we have ministries that go out and serve these people by giving them food, giving them water. But once again, I don't see any children. I've never seen any children. And maybe that's something I need to investigate a little more. Well, if you want to find homeless families, go to YouTube. There's a bunch of them. (laughs) There's a bunch of them with videos on there. And, you know, it's really just how you reframe it because whatever reason they might be, uh, like in the movie 99 uh, Homes, when the family, when the, the, the prominent family in that uh, uh, movie were, they were evicted, was a, a guy living with his mother and he had his son. All right. When hmm. they got put out by the sheriff in Orlando, Florida, they moved into a, uh, a motel one of these weekly motels. She got her from, you know, Ooh. coast to coast. All right. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the people that were in that homeless motel basically experienced the exact same thing they did. All right. Yeah. So it was a community in there, but it, it really comes to a mindset because they could have oh. set up their own school, independent school system based on homeschooling right there. They exactly. could have, I mean, Orlando, if you venture out into um, Orange County or Seminole County, well, you know, uh, the knows more about this than I do in that neck of the woods. They could have purchased some land and then had their own homestead with their own school. It all, you know, it, 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 you can always, I'm one of these people, you know, the glass is always half full. So um, I think it really all depends on the mindset of the parent um, on how to take lemons and turn it into lemonade. Because I've I've seen some videos of um, 
Matter of fact, it was a um, single, a black single woman, American, uh, in yeah. Columbia. She's looking for a different place to live outside the United States. So she took her daughter with her, and she's using that trip as as a homeschooling opportunity as well. She's, her daughter's learning Spanish in Columbia. Mm-hmm. She's learning about a different culture um, in Columbia. Because I'm even looking at culture shock, because you can get culture shock right here in the United States. Oh, But culture yes. shock very, is just another true. way to get educated. Absolutely. You know, I had so, a chance um, to, I had a chance to go to Israel some mm-hmm. months ago, and I, it wasn't really a culture shock to me. I I think more than anything, it was it was very authentic for me. Because I saw where here in America, we do so much that, especially where food is concerned, we do so much that's so unhealthy. And to go to Israel and to experience authentic authentic and organic kind of living, I loved it. Because it was very, it was real. To me, and I think that was the culture shock for me, not as much as Israel, but what the United States had as a, as opposed to the kind of country is the uh, state that Israel is, and it's it's you know it's metropolitan as well, it's cosmetologist as well, but the, everything is very authentic. It's real. The food is real. You know, it's 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 from the earth and. Uh, just the startup, you know, just all of the emerging businesses and how people are investing. No, were you children with you on that trip? Okay, just you. I was a, okay, I had an experience yeah. like that. Uh, I had an experience like that in Italy and Germany. Uh, when I when I went to Italy, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that had on my mind because I love pizza uh, mm-hmm. was to have real Italian pizza in Italy. So, came time for dinner time and whatnot, ordered pizza, and I was disappointed and enlightened and then happy at the same time. <laughs> I see. <laughs> wow. What it was, was, it's like you said, it was authentic. And the first thing it was noticeable is that real Italian pizza in Italy has dramatically Less fat. Mm, I got to see that. I would love to taste that. Less fat. How do they make that? Okay. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it tasted good. Now, in Germany, one of the things I noticed in the gro- grocery store was that all right, salad dressing in the United States is oil-based. Yeah. Salad dressing in Germany is yogurt-based. Really? Interesting concept. The refrigerators, the refri- cheesecake in the United States is you know, Philadelphia cream cheese base. In Germany, the cheesecake is made from something called quark, which has a lot less fat. The refrigerators wow. are smaller in Germany. People in Germany, at least where I was living in rural areas, they go grocery shopping. If not every day, oh yeah, it's like every other day, almost you're right, right. 
Yeah, to get the freshest ingredients. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Right there. And that will keep you alive and out of the doctor's hospital alone. With the eating fresh food. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And how many of us want to stay out of the doctor's office? Really? They'll keep you in there. They'll have you come in like a regular visit every two or three months. Doctors will. Viata, you're a little bit of a globetrotter yourself. Now, you've been to China. What did you notice in China? Oh, you know, her her light's still on. She could have stepped away. She often okay. does that. Well, when, when she pops back in, because she's been okay. in China and some other places. But you're right. The, that's one of the things I notice is the food, you know, yeah. and eating fresh. And eating fresh. Oh, yeah. That's when I need to get my mother. Because, see, my mother's real, real old school. She's got three <laughs> freezers full what of food to the brown. But it's, to my knowledge, it's over five years old. That nobody eats out of it. But that's caused some of her health problems because essentially a freezer's a morgue. Yeah. yeah. And she's got two refrigerators on top. Of, this is all in the same house. And one person. Two refrigerators. One person <laughs> and two dogs. So why was oh, that there? So she's got two refrigerators, which also have freezers also. Yeah. So, yeah. all that food, you you can't eat all that food. No, she can't. But, I, you know, when she grew up, because um, she's in her 90s, she grew up, I guess they was, you know, they were struggling to eat food. Because her bedroom coming up was the mm. kitchen. So I guess Ooh. she made a place to herself way back when she wasn't, she wasn't going to never be caught short on food again. Now, she's got an older sister, like 102, mm. and better, wow. much better physical condition, better health. But she, she's now her older sister still lives rural. She only eats. She eats off of like a tea saucer. She'll feed you like you belong on an NFL football training table, but she won't eat that way. Mm. She won't eat. Now, she won't eat out of her freezer. Do they go to the doctor, L.A.? My mother usually goes to the doctor maybe once a year, and my aunt, I don't know. But my aunt doesn't take any prescription medication and no over-the-counter medication. And she's got a garden, and she's out of the garden. She And she manages her garden? Oh, wow. Yeah, well, she's also got, well, once she keeps active, see, her garden is her gym. Yes, yes. Her garden's wow. her gym. I would love to meet them one day. <laughs> you got to make well, that happen for me. <laughs> yeah, and one of like my mother now. My mother is the retired registered nurse. She used to give anesthesia to um, you know patients in the emergency room and all that. So the the mm-hmm. blessing of that profession, it was a blessing financially, but also a curse. Because then, you know, all the medications 
that allegedly are supposed to make you well. However, going back to her sister, my aunt, you know, food is her medicine. Anyway, interesting on on the education part. Yeah, food is medicine. You're right. When you stepped outside the United States, and we noticed the same thing, the way you eat, I mean, culturally speaking, it, it keeps, you know, the uh, people, the Americans go overboard. Well, you know, I I think about that I had in Israel. I can still taste it. And when I, I, I came home and I, you know, started eating our chicken, and I'm not, I'm not trying to down my country. I'm only saying that a chicken breast is, is a big plump of meat here. It is. And I'm thinking, I cannot eat that. You know, I tell my husband, I can't eat it anymore. I honestly can't. Since I experienced what meat, what chicken should really taste taste like, I just could not experience. And so I'm I'm in a search now, and it's probably free-range chickens because, you know, a chicken breast does not have to be as large as my thigh. You know what I'm saying? And, I, you know, I hate to use that kind of illustration, but right. they are huge and they're very plump, and, and you can tell that they've been shot up with something. And so I just tell my – and it's, it's almost like eating cushions, really. It's very dense meat. And so, I, you know, it was good for me to be there because it really changed my diet a lot. I've, ne- I've never been a very big person, but – Still, I want to be as healthy as I can possibly be. And um, it changed my diet a lot. It really did. Everything's fresh. You know, when I had a chance to tour the city and, and, and go to some of the, the markets, everything is fresh, just laid right out there for you to choose. The fruit, the vegetables, homegrown, and they really focus a lot on herbs, seasoning instead of salt, pepper. They focus on the herbs. And, you know, it just made a difference. So I guess back to your conversation about homelessness. Homelessness is very organic because people want to be together. They want to be social. But once again, I put it out there. It's what we do for our children. It says a lot about who we are as a people. And it's not just black folks now. There are lots of Caucasians that are homeless out there. Because in Stockton, that's who I saw, lots of Caucasians, lots of uh, uh, international uh, families. And I saw a few blacks, but it was a good mixture of all people groups. Well, if, well let's, let's go, we have another caller here. Let's chime in. Let's get his comment. Uh, three, two, oh, your mic is open. Uh, good morning. It's my house. Uh, my deceased father was a, a renowned biochemist who switched from animal nutrition to human nutrition. And uh, this morning's conversation reminds me of an anecdote he passed on to me, which I'll pass on to you. Uh, in Rome, right before, well, maybe five generations before, Rome collapsed. They took the food off the farm, and they put it in factories. And um, 
what is being noted here and the difference between chicken in Europe and chicken in the United States is the vast majority of chicken in the United States is factory food. It does not come from a farm. It comes from a factory. And um, uh, at the local farmer's market where I am, uh, there is a vendor who sells uh, chicken raised the old way. And his chickens are probably 40% higher in price than a store chicken. And uh, one bite, and uh, you'll pay the difference. L.A.? Yeah. Thank you. Now, yeah, Peter, um, you're originally from Chicago. Now, you're in a rural area now? Uh, that is correct. Uh, your, your thoughts on the, the, the distinctions between the two, particularly when it comes to overall, overall life education? Well, I, my attitude is... Um, uh, the attitude passed on to me by someone who uh, was older and wiser than I am. And uh, I was told that you have rural and urban. And if the urban world collapses or gets into trouble and the rural area is strong, the rural areas will rebuild the city. Yeah. If the rural area is weak and the cities are strong and the rural area collapses, you'll have more problems than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest. <laughs> I totally agree with now, that. That's why I Very continually true. remind all you nice people that the It's My House paradigm is uh, extremely dangerous. Because the the back to the land mindset, uh, you'll notice that virtually I I would I would bet that eighty percent of the people who monitor it's my house, either live or by podcast, are what the world would define as foodies. They're particular about what they eat. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in modern America that they absolutely will not eat under any circumstance. Absolutely. That's right. And um, uh, that's the difference. Uh, I, I've, I've said it before. I'll say it again. If the United States of America was an AKC dog kennel and you examined the birth statistics, the owners of the kennel would fire management and bring a oh, new yeah. management team in. That management team would bring in a consulting veterinarian, and the first question the consulting vet would ask would be, what on God's green earth are these animals being fed? Yeah. And that's basically where the bear lives in the woods. Yeah. Uh, yeah, EBITDA, 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 that's all, folks. L.A.? <laughs> you know, uh, I've noticed, uh, well, a lot of people have noticed, like it's on Facebook or YouTube or whatever, uh, a lot of these uh, adolescents fighting, and, you know, people put it on, 
YouTube or whatever, Facebook. And um, I'm thinking all the fights I've seen have been in an urban area. I mean, they people fight anywhere, urban or suburban yeah. or rural. But, you know, a, a lot of, um, and you don't have to be homeless, but you have a lot oh, of yeah. family that shop out of the dollar store. Um, and when you shop out of the dollar store, you're essentially buying a lot of highly processed food. And so if your child, you know, might be, what they call it, have attitude problems or whatever, I got you got to think that it's, you know, or they're eating their Popeyes quite often. You got, you got all these chemicals and processed foods going into your system. You know, they don't know what's happening because they might take them to the, you know, it's a vicious cycle. Because, you know, I, I don't, I I try to, like, for me, I, I try to drink about four liters of water a day because I want to avoid the, what do you call that place, the emergency room. Oh, and, yeah, uh, definitely. You, definitely. You also have to watch, like you said, chicken and whatever mm-hmm. foods you put in your body or where you, you buy it from. Is one, on one podcast I heard this guy, he doesn't even go shopping in the grocery store, not even Whole Foods. He just uh, shops. Is my mic open? Yeah, your mic's open. You know, one thing, uh, uh, thank you, Peter, for that wisdom. And uh, one thing I've observed living out in the country uh, is that we don't need a lot of food. I look at these horses every day. I have horses that live right next door to me, five horses. Most of the day they're out in the sun eating grass, and I'm sure their owners feed them something when they go back to the barn. But all day long, I've watched these horses all day long. They just graze in the grass. They go all over this five-acre property, eating grass and being in the sun. So that just helped me see that we as people, human beings, we think we need three meals a day with dessert, and we really don't. If these horses, as strong as they are, are getting the beauty and the strength from sunshine and grass, why do we need three meals a day with dessert? The propaganda. If you uh, if you want to experience the difference between the old way and the new, um, the 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 foodie grocery stores, um, uh, Whole Foods, um, uh, Trader Joe's, and uh, farmers market entrepreneurs sell what is defined as spring butter. And spring butter is warranted to be produced from the milk that cows produce when they move on to a spring paddock or pasture and they eat spring grass. And the people producing this product uh, very carefully monitor what is happening. Um, in terms of how the animals are uh, paddocked and what they eat. And uh, you try spring butter once, and the odds of your going back to regular butter uh, will only be dictated by availability or price. Spring butter costs more money. 
and all you have to do is consume one quarter pound of it, one stick, and you'll know why. L.A.? Thank you, Peter. Uh, Viada, you, you you still there? Yes, I'm still here. Yeah, we had, uh, we were comparing notes. Uh, Joyce was in Israel at one time, uh, she, and I, 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 we were sharing the difference between food yeah. and foreign land as compared to the United States. So you were in China, I know, at least once. Uh, how was the food there compared to – matter of fact, how was Chinese food in China compared to Chinese food served in the United States? Let's start there. Oh, my, there's no comparison. The China, food in China is nothing like Chinese food here. They're, they had a lot more fish and vegetables. Uh, the only problem is we got sick. Uh, even though we were on a tour, they were they were cautioning us about the water. And so I think that what they were cooking the food in, the water they were cooking the food in may have had some you know, bacteria or whatever, because everybody on the tour was sick by the end of the tour, and all we ate was with, you know, uh, mm-hmm. designated restaurants that the tour company had picked out. But I was in Israel, too, uh, in 19, I think it was 94, and I just noticed, and especially in Tel Aviv, all the fresh wagon, fresh fruit and vegetables that they were selling on the streets. That's what impressed me is that I saw, at least in Tel Aviv, a lot of fresh vegetables and fruit that came right from the farms, I'm imagining, I think it was. And there was definitely a difference in the taste uh, as I bought, you know, fresh uh, apples, not apples, but more other fruit. So to me it was the the food is definitely fresher, was fresher in China, and the, the, the meals that they prepared were very different from what we see in Chinese food. Uh, in uh, America and in Israel, the, the, every, there were fresh markets everywhere. Um, so that mm-hmm. was what I observed. Mm-hmm. So I guess in America, yeah. they serve Americanized Chinese food. Absolutely, not the same. It's uh, it's very Americanized. Uh, I was on the sixth tour of Americans allowed into Red China in 1978. Uh, when the State Department opened it up, and the Chinese allowed American tourists to uh, tour China without State Department papers. All you needed was a passport. And um, uh, the food was very, very different. Uh, To understand the freshness of Chinese food, take the United States of America, And for every five acres of farmland, take away four, multiply the population of the country by 400%, add four people for every one, and you have mainland China. And uh, there are no lawns in China. Uh, every square inch of ground that can be cultivated is cultivated food. Thank you. And uh, they're lucky in one respect. Their food is very fresh. All right. You know, uh, no. And add on to that, the pollution, uh, the pollution was awful in China. It was yeah, everywhere we went, people were wearing masks, and especially in Shanghai, it was one oh, of the wow. worst. You could people, and they smoked. 
That was the thing I observed in China. Everybody's smoking everywhere in China, and here, and that was the one thing. And we can compare in the United States. We're reducing the places people can light up a cigarette, but in China, it's like something new. Everybody can smoke wherever and whenever they want, and it just added to the pollution. But where you're explaining, Shanghai is on the that that particular city in China is on the grid in China. Did you ever get to go to rural China? Because I'm sure rural China was the polar opposite. I mean, I've never been there, but I'm just saying. Well, you, the Great Wall is, is almost rural China. It's, it's, not, it's outside the city, but the Great Wall is probably the um, the purest place in terms of the air because we spent you know, a few hours at the Great Wall, and that was the one place that I felt like I was breathing. I could breathe the air. So that was the closest we really got to being in rural area, and that's not real exactly rural, but outside right. the city. And yeah, going exactly. up higher elevations, we got some relief. Well, that's, from that's one of the things that when we uh, when we hit the road, I mean, one of the bases that we'll be teaching uh, is geography. Because with uh, it, it, okay. um, when you look at the populations of states or countries, it's uh, including uh, uh, continents like Africa or, or countries like China, uh, and China has, you know, their number one when it comes to people population, but the majority of people live on just a, a fraction, I mean, a, just a small percentage of the landmass. I haven't figured it out for um, for uh, China yet, but for the continent of Africa, You've got all those people, practically a billion people, and like over 900 million that live on probably no more than maybe 15% of the entire land mass of Africa. Even in the United States. I mean, you still have sections of the United States that are wilderness. Lemon. A couple of lemons. you got to find a place where you can, um, you know, you can um, stretch your legs so the Live between two worlds. Mm. On that note, all right, tomorrow we will have, um, uh, we're going to our deck, uh, debt collection literacy series. So Viata recommended uh, a couple of audios. And so tomorrow we're going to go into our debt collection literacy series. Uh, we are, I, I, I already got that show set up. I set it up yesterday before you even set up this podcast. So, George, thanks for calling in for today. Thanks for everybody calling in. On that note, everyone have a good rest of the day.